This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. All right, everybody, welcome to the most ambitious crossover in history. Take that, Marvel Avengers. I'm here with Metal Panthers of YouTube fame for a podcast, video, crossover the likes of which we've never seen before. I mean, the only thing that really comes to mind that is as good a crossover is, um, what was it called? Collision Course with Jay-Z and Linkin Park. <laughs> Numb Encore, the best song of all time. So I love that reference. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian. I run the Metal Panthers YouTube channel and I run the Metal Panthers Twitter page. Uh, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. That part's very important. Uh, I do recaps for virtually every game. Uh, and I feel like uh, the one tonight could be quite interesting. So make sure you guys go subscribe. Yeah, so we we um, plugged this as a mailbag, ask us anything special, which we're going to do in kind of the second half of this, you know, powwow. But in the first half, because of how you know, many things have developed with this COVID outbreak and the Panthers. Uh, we got to go over that first because there really isn't a whole lot out there in terms of really summing everything up and all the implications of everything that's happened. Uh, so let's just start with the facts. And coming into Thursday, not a really a surprise. Barkov's still unavailable. He's on IR. Marchman is still unavailable. He's on IR, though he started skating. And uh, Mammon is still unavailable. I don't think he's started skating. But because of the COVID outbreak that has happened, that started with Lomberg, who we heard about, I think it was on Monday, it might have been on Tuesday, that he was added to the, the COVID list. Panthers played on Tuesday without him. And then yesterday, Wednesday, the Panthers added another four people to protocol, which were Sam Bennett, Brandon Montour, Carter Verhage, and Radko Gudis. Then we go to the morning skate today. Spencer Knight's not there, but it turns out he's been assigned to the AHL. Uh, Frank Vetrano's not there. Aaron Ekblad's not there. And we've since learned that Aaron Ekblad has also been added to the COVID protocol list. We don't know what's going on with Vetrano. Uh, Brunette said that both players would be a game time decision. So we're just going to have to run with that assumption that Vetrano is going to be a game time decision. He could be on the protocol. He could be on the COVID list. We're not sure. But what we do know is that the Panthers are going to be missing six guys tonight because of COVID. 
And that's Lomberg, Bennett, Montour, Ekblad, Verhage, and Gudis. So Gustav Forsling might be coming back into the lineup, which is really the only piece of good news. He missed Tuesday with a sickness. Uh, and the reinforcements that the Panthers have called up are Grigory Denisenko and Cole Schwint, who I've never heard of, but I'm, I'm guessing that he's all right because the Panthers called him up. And uh, Matt Kirstead and Chase Prisky, those are the forwards in the defense, respectively. So I've just taken up a lot of uh, airtime by speaking. So, Brian, I really don't even know how to on-ramp you into this. Why don't you just figure out what you want to say about it? <laughs> so, uh, first of all, wow. Uh, that escalated quite quickly. I mean, we went from... Uh, an 8-2 loss to Ottawa to all of a sudden the entire team uh, just not playing the next game. So things escalated quite quickly, obviously, as you had to rattle off five minutes of an entire list to talk about all the players that are not going to play tonight. Um, I think we should probably touch on, first of all, what our opinions are in the sense of should the game even happen in the first place? You know, like, is it fair that the Florida Panthers are going to play this game probably without, you know, potentially double digit amount of NHL regulars. You know, mm -hmm. what do you think first? In, in terms of the, like going over the pros and the cons, I can understand why the NHL wants this game to go on because having looked at LA's schedule, you know, they're a team that's not typically on the East coast to begin with. So, you know, there's potentially days in there where, all right, you could squeeze in the game there. They would have to play the next night or the night before. But, you know, that happens sometimes in the NHL, except for the fact that a lot of those nights, pretty much all of them, they're on the West Coast. So we're talking about logistically having to play a game and then fly five hours to Florida and play the, the next night against the Panthers. And that's that's difficult to imagine now. I think that it's plausible that there's going to be like an extra week of the regular season added sort of like it was last year for them to make up a lot of the games that have been canceled otherwise. And it would make sense to put this game there, but you know, I do have to be cynical and remind people that the Kings had to spend a lot of money to fly to Florida to play the lightning like they did on Tuesday. And I'm sure that they don't want to have to spend the money to get them out here again. Now, the one thing I would say as an alternative that might make everybody happy is how about you just park it, park this game. And if it turns out that after 81 games of the Kings, 81 games of the Panthers and 82 games of everybody else, that this game is of particular significance, then you can play it. But otherwise just uh, have both teams play 81 games. To be honest, that's an interesting suggestion. I don't know if the NHL would go for it in the sense that they liked everything to be uniform, but to be honest, I think that would be something that both teams would probably agree to uh, just because if there's no point in playing the game, don't play the game. Uh, however, uh, when I look at um, the potential lineup uh, for the Florida Panthers tonight, obviously with all of those guys being called up, the Panthers are for sure at a sizable disadvantage. Uh, going into this game I mean they're gonna have mostly defensemen that are playing their third game in three nights and we'll get into that mm -hmm. um, and several forwards that are doing the same thing obviously with Denisenko and Cole Schwint 
who will be making his NHL debut, I guess, under these circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, welcome to the NHL kid. Yeah. But really. uh, um, so I think there's definitely pros and cons to talk about when you, you know, talk about if this game should even happen at all. Um, you know, obviously the Kings want it to happen. The Panthers probably don't. Um, but uh, in terms of if it should happen, I'll, I'll leave that up to the NHL, but the Panthers are definitely at a sizable disadvantage at this point uh, going into this game and probably going into the next few games uh, with the lineup that they're going to be able to ice. Uh, going back to what I said about potentially punting the game and then playing it in a uh, window if it were to open up like a uh, extended regular season. Obviously, the Panthers haven't had a game postponed up to this point. I don't know if that's the case for the Kings. I'm going to look at that right now, but I'm, I haven't heard of it. Like, I don't remember hearing about, oh, the Kings. Had I don't a game believe postponed. so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that does seem like it's a pretty plausible way to get out of this. Although at, at this point, I doubt that they're going to do it. Like, you know, they've already gone through Panthers. you got to call up the guys, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they were going to do it anyway because they're probably going to try to play on Saturday. But at, at this point, it, it does feel like the game is going to happen. And, you know, th they probably did consider the idea of punting it. And ultimately, they're just going to play it safe. Ironically, like by putting all, everybody on the ice at risk, by just having the game go on and uh, not try to rely on the schedule lining up in the future to their advantage. I feel like there is also the risk now of the Panthers that are going to be on the ice, potentially giving the Kings uh, COVID mm -hmm. as well. There has to be that risk that has to be talked about that. I'm sure the NHL has weighed as well. Obviously, if you have this many Panthers going on protocol, they all, you know, are around each other consistently. So the risk for the Kings is, is pretty high. Uh, however, I would assume that that's been uh, taken into account by the NHL. They do seem to want this game to happen. So I think this game is going to happen. Uh, I don't know how it's going to look when we actually see this unit on the ice. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at a potential first line of Huberto, Reinhardt, Duclair. So that would be, that would be pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then you can use guys that have played pretty significant second line minutes, either this year or last, you can have Lundell on the second line. You can have Tippett on the second line. I think Hornquist played a little bit on the second line last year. Was he with, with Huberto and Wenberg at any point? Yeah. I Huber, think so. It was at the beginning of the year for the first half of the year. It was Huberto, so, Wenberg, Hornquist. So you can, you can put him there, although they'll probably play him at right wing now that I think yeah. about it. Uh, Vetrano and Thornton on the third line, if Vetrano even plays. Again, who knows? And um, likely some Heponiemi. They'll probably try to limit Schwentz minutes because he'll be playing the third game in three nights. It's his NHL debut. On top of that, that, that seems like he's going to play like five minutes to me. Yeah, I think the biggest... You know, Schwinn's probably going to play a limited amount of minutes at the 4C position. I think the biggest question of arc is how do they handle the defensive guys that are coming up? Because they're going to also be playing their third game in three nights. Uh, and you're looking at, Lu you know, not Lucas Carlson, uh, Matt Kirstead and Chase Prisky uh, that, you know, have very limited NHL experience and are also going to be asked to play their third game in three nights. So it'll be very interesting to see how those two guys are managed tonight. 
and who they pair up with because we barely have enough defensemen to even ice a team tonight. So it'll be interesting to see the lineup, the pairs, everything tonight. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of the forward lines, uh, I would really like to see uh, Dennis Senko get a top six role tonight. Uh, I think that he's been really finding his groove in the AHL. And I think that it's time that we learn what we have in Denisenko. So this could be a really, really good opportunity for him. I would like to see him play with at least some, some level of talent. If it's, you know, Reinhardt, if it's Huberto, if it's, you know, Lundell or whoever it is, I'd like to see him play in the top six with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about them playing twice in the past two nights. Yeah. So I mean, what are you the, really going to gather anyway? The other side but of the coin, I, though, is that Denisenko has five points in the last two days, so he's on a heater. Yeah. He is on a he is on a heater, and he's got the confidence going. I feel like now might be the perfect time. If there's anybody from the four call ups that should get uh, a decent amount of ice time tonight, a decent amount of chance. I think it should be Denisenko because he's because he is on fire. Yeah, and I mean. Cross your fingers that Forsling can go, and if he can, and they'll be playing uh, six defensemen, they're going to lean on that top four pretty heavily. Because again, you know the two guys that are probably going to be on the bottom pairing, Kierstead and and uh, Prisky, will have played two games in the past two nights, and they're not necessarily guys you call upon in the NHL every night anyway. Although they they both played in the NHL, Prisky just once. Kirstead a, a few more times. I mean, if they, if we wanted to trust them, we would have been, we would have been playing them. So they'll, yeah. they'll likely like limit those minutes, but who knows? I mean, they might just be like, screw it. Let's just see what happens if we treat everything like normal. I think that there's a sizable chance that Mackenzie Weger plays over 30 minutes tonight. Um, I I can see that definitely because I think that first of all, we're only going to have two or three NHL regulars in our defensive core. If uh, for depending on if Forsling plays or not. Right. So Uyghur is the stalwart back there. He's the guy that's going to be relied upon basically in every position tonight. It wouldn't shock me to see him on power play one with Ekblad out. Um, it wouldn't shock me to see him basically penalty killing the entire time. Uh, and it wouldn't see, it wouldn't shock me to see him consistently out there every other shift. So he's going to play a lot of minutes tonight and, uh, you know, hope, hope he's ready for that. So <laughs> it, it could be quite an interesting night for Mackenzie Weger. Mm-hmm. So. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be fun for the the four guys coming up to play with Joe Thornton because I, I can't remember. He, I'm sure he played with Kierstead because Kierstead was here for a few games, but I don't remember if if uh, he played the the Washington game. So Prisky will have been able to have played with him, and of course Denisenko. This is his season debut for the Panthers, so Joe Thornton wasn't on the team last year. That'll be a story for all of those guys to have played with a you know first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, Barkov's going to be a first ballot all Hall of Famer, all likelihood, also. But yeah, there's a difference in stature when you're talking about Joe Thornton. Obviously, yeah. he's at the end of his his rope, and he's a legitimate legend. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, those guys work with him. 
let's not forget though that we have four players coming up, but we also have Alexi Hepo Niemi, mm-hmm. who is only one game into a call up. Mm-hmm. So we really have five AHL call ups that are going to be playing tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Hepo Niemi coming up obviously due to injury uh, before the COVID protocol stuff happened. So we really have a lot of youth in tonight's lineup. Uh, and there's a lot of intrigue, at least for me, seeing how some of those kids look. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I am nervous for Chase Prisky and Matt Kierstead uh, as defensemen playing their third game in three nights. Uh, and I am curious to see how they limit those minutes. Um, however, I do, I expect Denisenko is going to have a really good game tonight. I think that he, he's found his game. He's actually being brought up at the right time, even if it's not the right circumstances. And I think that it wouldn't shock me to see him on the score sheet at some point tonight. Mm-hmm. Just get the four of them in the cryogenic chamber. That, that'll get the, <laughs> the two days of wear off. Uh, so let's talk about what all of this means for the games before Christmas, because it's kind of neat how that break works as really like a demarcation point as to where the positive COVID test or the COVID news really matters and when it's ambiguous. So I might be wrong about this, but I'm running under the assumption that the guys that have been added to the non-roster list, which at this point are Ryan Lomberg, Sam Bennett, Brandon Montour, and Aaron Ekblad, they're not going to be able to play until after Christmas. So we won't see them until the, the game against the Hurricanes, I think, is first, and then the, the back-to-back against the Rangers and Lightning. Uh, two guys that weren't added to that list that we knew were in protocol are Carter Verhage and Radko Gudis. So we, they won't play tonight, but they very well could come back into the lineup. Uh, like we said, don't know anything about Bertrano, don't know anything about Forsling. And uh, Knights currently in the AHL after they claimed Johansson off waivers from Colorado. Kind of funny that it came the day after they played Colorado. Uh, and actually, Johansson played against the Panthers at the FLA Live Arena game. So we have seen him. Pretty, I thought I thought he wasn't that bad in that game. It, it wasn't uh, his fault. No, he looked, they... Yeah, he looked pretty solid in that game, actually. And to be honest, that that the move kind of came across as a little bit petty based on the timing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Chris um, Gibson is hurt in the AHL, so I think yeah, it's more it was, just it was insurance. a legitimate move. It was a legitimate move. It was just really, really funny. Yeah, but I mean, it's so paranoid. I mean, what, what what's going to happen that's going to cause you to lose so much of your depth that you need a third goalie? I mean, what could possibly happen? maybe like a COVID outbreak, I guess. <laughs> Man, if we start having goalies going down with COVID, we're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we physically, the one piece of our team that's still intact right now, cross your fingers and hope is the fact that Sergei Bobrovsky is still slated to start tonight in net. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the one piece that hasn't been effective. But if we have to start going down to the organization for deaf goalies, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, in terms of just the guys that are on COVID list, I would expect um, potentially that, uh, you know, the rules better than I do in terms of COVID rules, but I would expect that we'll have some further um, news on Verhage. Um, and uh, who is the other name who didn't get out? Gudis. So we'll have some, some clarity on those guys by Saturday's game. 
uh, and they could potentially play on Saturday, potentially. Uh, I think that's when you you might hear something because yeah. they – I guess you would hear it if they were added to the non-roster list because, again, I'm working under the assumption that they had one positive test, and the way that it works is once you get another positive test, they treat you as a COVID case, and yeah. that's when that 10-day window that you can't play that everybody cites, that's when it kicks in. Or I okay. think it's the beginning of symptoms. So basically we'll say the first positive test. Okay. So we should get days. assuming Verhage and Gudis, uh, based on the fact they were not placed into uh, the 10 day system mm-hmm. um, tested negative today or something inconclusive or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So we should have more information on them probably before Saturday's game as they will be retested probably uh, tomorrow. But um, mm-hmm. in terms of the lineup going forward, it's going to be a real challenge for this team because, you know, you got so many injuries on top of the COVID list, right? Obviously, you got Barkov, Mammon, Marchment that are all out. Um, and, you know, you are one more COVID case potentially from being unable to even ice a team. You know, you it, it, the, the Panthers are walking a tightrope right now with, uh, being able to play these games before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't shock me to see some of these games end up being rescheduled anyway, even if tonight's game goes forward as planned. Mm-hmm. It, it's difficult because the next three Panthers games are all against Western Conference opponents. So whether it's the Western Conference team coming into Florida or the Florida going into the Western Conference team's arena, that only happens once a season. They're really only within a a certain radius of that arena one point in the season i mean it would make a lot more sense for them to reschedule the chicago game and even the minnesota game it's not that far away from places that the panthers are going to be a lot this year like a boston or a buffalo that's not a far flight from minnesota or from chicago so those games would be easier to reschedule i feel but this game because la to florida that's such a long flight and there's nowhere really to fit it in the LA schedule. It's, it's difficult for, for uh, the NHL to reschedule this game. Yeah, I agree. I, I was just mostly alluding to um, just, you know, you could get more positive COVID cases moving forward from this point out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at what the Panthers defensive core especially is going to be tonight. And you're probably one defensive injury or COVID protocol away from literally only being able to ice five defensemen. You know, I don't even know that we have any more defensemen in the organization that are, you know, ready to be called up or even will be able to call up. Um, so it's there, we're going to have to play this game by game and see what happens um, in terms of the games actually being played themselves. Um, Going from there though, um, again, just excited to see what all these kids can bring. Yeah. It would be nice if they did get to play a little bit more of a a clean slate against Minnesota where they could, you know, take Friday off, rest their legs a little bit. I mean, four games and five nights is still pretty brutal, but they would at least have the day off. So, yeah, obviously the three games and three nights thing is brutal. I, should I be questioning why they played last night? Well, Charlotte didn't really have any options in terms of other guys that they could have played. So they would either have to 
have shorted their lineup or just forfeited. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I feel like sometimes we as Panther fans, people that watch every game, we have a tendency to focus in on our own team. But Charlotte had to ice a roster yesterday as well. So I think that's a fair point. Because of the back-to-back situation. Um, And also the the Swamp Rabbits played last night as well. So it's not like they could call guys out of that lineup to play in Charlotte. It's, you know, yeah, just, just the worst possible just unfortunate timing. timing all around. Yeah. I mean, COVID, yeah, of course, just unfortunate it timing all around because I, yeah, I woke up this morning and I was like, man, why did they play guys like Kirstead and Prisky? And then, as you said, it's like, they, they didn't have anybody else to play. Yeah. You know, like they physically had to play those guys and, you know, those guys had to have known last night that there was a solid chance they'd be playing in the NHL today. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I do wonder, uh, I haven't looked at ice time for them last night, but I wonder how much they did end up playing last night. If there was any kind of minutes restriction on those guys. Uh, and maybe if they were rested a little bit more last night than they would have been. Uh, because like we all kind of knew, especially with like Matt Kirstead and, and Dennis Sanko, uh, that they were coming up today. So I do wonder what the time on ice looked like in Charlotte last night. Those stats aren't as readily available as NHL time on ice statistics. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty much uh, proprietary metrics only. Uh, So if you work for the Charlotte checkers or the AHL, you can hit us up with those ice time stats and we will be very appreciative. So I think that pretty much is everything there is to say about the COVID stuff. I mean, information is constantly going to be coming out to change everything. So what we said is probably totally irrelevant by the time you're listening to it, but here's the situation right now. Maybe things won't change that much. Uh, Let's move into the mailbag that we promised and you all delivered. So thank you very much for doing so. Uh, People want to know what we think. So let's get into it. Uh, The first question comes from our friend, Noah. He asks pretty simple question. Panic index, one through five, one being things are fine, five being things are terrible. Brian, I'll let you answer first. What's your uh, DEFCON level, I guess? Well, if you asked me on Tuesday, mm-hmm. right, when we played the Ottawa Senators, uh, I think my answer probably would have been a one, to mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, they, they ended that game, even though it was an awful, just a dreadful loss, mm-hmm. um, where there were some definite definitely questionable coaching decisions and leaving night in and you know you know that stuff is at this point what it is um but i would have said a one just because the team was in perfect position and sometimes you're going to have those games throughout the course of a season uh, i wasn't overly concerned about the unit themselves uh, however uh if you're asking me now on thursday what my panic level is it's probably close to a four uh just because of the covid situation um, I, I don't know what this team is going to look like the next several games uh, going forward. We could end up dropping a bunch of games in the standings. Um, and and I'm, I'm worried about the, the state of the team as it relates to COVID. Um, but I'm not, I'm not at all worried in terms of uh, a fall off based on the game against Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I was going to say too, when this question was asked, because that was before all the COVID stuff, sort of like you. 
the Ottawa game, that was really the first one all season where I, I felt like, okay, there's some, there's some issues that are showing up because, you know, people talked about, well, the devil's game showed some issues. Well, the Rangers game showed some issues, whichever loss you want to talk about, but really all of those games were games that the Panthers were either outplaying their opponent or like pretty much playing at the, at the same level. And the Ottawa game was totally different. Ottawa dominated that game and it was the biggest loss of the season. The only one that really comes close is a seven, three loss against uh, New Jersey. And that was really just because the devils scored. I think it was three, three goals on pucks that like bounced in front of the net, weird deflection, some sort of strange luck element. And then they had an empty netter. So it was really only three legitimate goals against. And I mean, I'm not trying to say it's an illegitimate win for the devils. That's how hockey works. Sometimes you get unlucky. Sometimes you get lucky. That's just how hockey works. So that would have been the first game of the season where legitimate issues showed up in my opinion. And then going forward, you just have to be like, well, is this going to show up again and again? Like, are we going to start to see the team that we had seen for the previous every game in the season, I guess, going forward. But uh, the, I guess the COVID issues really ramp it up. So I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, probably a three, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a fair answer. I think before this entire COVID situation happened, uh, both of us were pretty confident that, this, that Ottawa – that Ottawa loss wasn't um, indicative of how we're going to see the team necessarily moving forward. Uh, it could open up a Pandora's box of something. So there was a little bit of concern. Uh, you said a two. I think that was probably fair. Um, however, the COVID situation is a lot more concerning to me. Yeah. I was a one before Tuesday. I'm a two after the Ottawa game. And now I'm a three after the COVID stuff to, to wrap it up like that. Uh, let's go to the next question. This is from Toasty. What is the best line on the team, and why is it the Lomberg, Lusterine, and Horny line? <laughs> that line's been excellent, to be yeah. honest. Um, I I am shocked by how well that line has worked. Uh, Ryan Lomberg has turned into an actually good NHL player, and so, of course, as that happens, he's on COVID protocol. But um, he, he's turned into a great NHL player with really good underlying analytics as well. And um, it's been impressive. Lusterinen's had a real breakout year um, where I feel like he's been fantastic. And, and Hornquist seems to gel with those guys as well. Um, but the best line on the team is still Verhage, Barkov, Duclair when they're all healthy. Yeah. Like with all that said. Yeah. I um, remember that money puck put out there like, okay, here's the, the lines that have the best expected goals percentage. And of course this line showed up on their top 15 or whatever, close to the top. And the reason I think they're there is just, they're overqualified for the fourth line. You know, Hornquist is a guy, as much as we want to lambast him for making as much money as he does and being on the fourth line, he's really only there because of circumstance. I don't think any other team in the league would need to use him on the fourth line. And he's likely still he's likely still a third line player if he's playing anywhere else. Yeah, middle six, I would say. Lusterinen is probably the same way. You know, they got to get Lundell into the top nine somehow because I, I would be pretty concerned if they were trying to use him as a defensive shutdown center only. He's got some offense to develop, and I hope it, we see more and more of it as the season goes along. So you can't put him on the fourth line, and you can't put Bennett on the fourth line. You can't put Barkov on the fourth line, obviously. 
So Lusterina has to set up there. And Lomberg, he thought he was just a grinder. You know, last year he seemed like a spark plug more than a hockey player. And this year he seems like he's doing both. So really it's just three guys that are overqualified. And it's funny to say that about Lomberg now. I mean, on, I guess on a Stanley Cup team, you'd be pretty uncomfortable with him on your third line. But, you know, in a regular season game, you feel damn good about him going up against other teams' fourth lines. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, just because I said that Verhege, Barkov, Duclair was our, our best line, because, I mean, those guys are studs. Um, I, Lomberg, Lusterai, and Hornquist, if that's our fourth line going into the playoffs, completely content with that. They've been great. So with that, we should uh, move along to our next question here. You want to read this one out? Okay. So this one comes from Mackenzie Gordon, Florida Panthers memory or team you have the most memories of his is the 2009, 2010 team. I'll let you take this question first. You know, I, I was thinking about this and I got to be honest, like the first season that I was really watching the Panthers was the 11, 12 season when they went to the playoffs with all those loser points, won the Southeast division and everything. So that has a special place in my heart, obviously 15, 16, that was such a crazy run with a 12 game winning streak. But it, it was kind of unpleasant also because we knew that that team wasn't that good. And you were just wondering when the house of cards was going to fall down. It's almost, it would have been better if they like got into the playoffs as a seven seed. And we were like, all right, let's see if they can make some noise and uh, upset somebody. But they came in with expectations. I would have to say last year, because even though they did lose in the first round again, they weren't favored against the lightning. Like and anything they did was a positive and anything that they could put up against them would be seen as a surprise and all the comebacks in the regular season, just how dominant they were with players that, you know, it was really easy to like, you know, Duclair for Hagee being new and being so exciting. And even the guys on defense, like seeing Forsling skate around and move the puck, Gudis, just level guys and overall be a ferocious competitor and, and a badass MF, you know, B-A-M-F, I guess. It was just a really likable team. And, you know, then Spencer Knight comes in. I think that's got to be my favorite season last year. But I guess this season has the potential to be my favorite and uh, usurp it. I, I You basically hit the nail right on the head. Uh, being that I was – not alive in 1996 to see the 1996 <laughs> run. Um, Cause that was already 26 years ago uh, just about. So, you know, it's, it's been quite a while since the 96 run. Uh, the Panthers have not had a lot of success during my lifetime. Uh, so, you know, you brought up the 2012 run, the 2016 run. Uh, I would say if we're talking about memories that mine would also be last year, that team was, the best Panthers team uh, ever yeah. to that point in my lifetime. However, it's really a trick question because I think that we all are going to look back when this season is done and say this was our best team in franchise history in the sense that I think that our best memories will be from this year, next year, and the year after that. Uh, I think that this is the beginning. This season is the beginning of the Panthers Cup window. So I think that the best memories still haven't been made yet. If that's, you know, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I think that, you know, if you ask me this question in a year, it'll be this season. 
I, I'm thinking along the same lines. Um, the, there, there has been some things, and I think everybody knows what I'm referring to, that have gone on this season, which I don't really, really elaborate on, that will make it a little bit more turbulent. But hopefully the playoff run will be our, our like favorite memory. Yeah, what um, everybody cares about is obviously going to be. So I'm not going to answer this uh, next question. I'm not going to answer this next question, but I will read it. Uh, why is Owen Tippett a top five player on the team from Dylan? And why I say I'm not going to answer it is because he's not a top five player on the team. But let, let's talk about our feelings on Owen Tippett. Um, why don't you start if you uh, have something that you want to say about Owen Tippett now? Yeah, I have a little bit I'd like to say about Owen Tippett. I think that he um, he struggled to find his place on this Panther team, if I'm being honest. Um, I think that the skill is there. Um, it, it's evident. He has, you know, we had great statistics in the AHL, right? He showed that he could score at the pro level. Um, I just think that this team is kind of too loaded for Owen Tippett. And here's what I mean by that. I think that if he was on a team like Columbus, Montreal, uh, you know, a bad team that, you know, was, you know, young and coming up, he could get a lot more opportunities to play power play one, be in the top six consistently, play a lot of minutes, and that might be better for his progression. However, on this team right now, uh, he's still struggling to find his way. And whether or not he actually does, he's still young. Uh, he's not currently a top five player. And so, you know, if we're just talking about Owen Tippett straight up, I mean, he hasn't necessarily looked like a guy I need in my playoff roster right now in the sense that, it, you know, when everybody's healthy, when Mason Marchment's healthy, when Maxime Mammon is healthy, I think that Owen Tippett is fighting for a spot on this team. And I think that there's going to be some real decisions that are going to have to be made on him moving forward, especially as we approach the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to be a, a guy that other teams come calling asking for, you know, asking if he's available. Uh, because we've seen that former first round picks that are still young, Sam Bennett, anybody, um, still have value on the market. Uh, and I think that there's going to be a lot of teams that would be interested in Owen Tippett, potentially, uh, you know, and, and we'll allude to this later, Arizona in a potential Jacob Chicklet. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of intrigue around the player. So I want to hear your thoughts on him. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that we've discussed this part that I want to say about him on the spaces, but we expected Tippett to be this guy that's like, oh, he's an amazing scorer, but he's so bad at everything else that you're going to have to insulate him in the lineup. And he's kind of become the opposite of that. You know, he, he doesn't rack up the points, but he's really a reliable player in all three zones now, all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't really make a lot of defensive mistakes. He's good in transition can, can really help with the zone entries. And I, I guess on the offensive thing, he was on power play one, and I like that look that they used when Hornquist was dropped and he was put in the left circle, and then Reinhardt and Bennett kind of switched spots at the, uh, the, the bumper end in front of the net. I mean, it's probably more so that, like, Hornquist, I don't think really fits a power play one at this point, but, you know, that's another discussion for another day. He's a guy that we're all waiting upon that breakout. And I think other teams are too. Like they're looking at him as their potential Verhage or Duclair, you know, the guy that didn't get utilized enough that could 
be a perfect fit for their system. It, it, it's strange to say that because he is, I, I do think he is a good fit for this system, but he can't be in as much of a featured role, like you said. Um, his shot production and point production is actually down from last year. And part of that is, oh, actually, no, he's shooting higher. He's shooting a higher percentage than he was last year. So, you know, I guess that's one thing to point to. The team should probably try to get him some more shooting opportunities, although his, his shooting percentage in the NHL has never really been that high. I guess that it, it could be because he's shooting from the perimeter. All of that to say, I, I do think the jury is still out with him. I think that he's going to help you, especially in the short term with the COVID absences. But he's a guy that could be your, your playoff cult hero. I mean, a guy like Brett Connolly, when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, came up huge for them with depth goals. You know, and guys like that, you know, guys like Anthony Sorelli and Ross Colton for Tampa scored key goals at key times in their cup run. And if Owen Tippett becomes that guy, he, he did score in the playoffs. I mean, game one, for sure. I, I can't remember if he scored again, but that was a big goal in game one. Maybe he'll be that guy. Yeah, I think another, um, just to touch on it a little bit, and then we'll move on to the next question here. He also has had his line mates jumbled a lot due to injuries. Um, you know, he started the season with Huberto and Bennett, obviously, and then you know, that line's been all over the place, obviously, with the absence of Barkov. And, uh, you know, so that has had to have been changed. And now he's playing with Joe Thornton and Frank Vetrano, um, you know, which are obviously a lot less in terms of skill than Huberto and, and Bennett. Um, so I, I like the comparison to potentially some other teams, Carter Berhage, in the sense that he hasn't gotten the opportunities here that he might have gotten on a rebuilding team. And I think that there's still a lot of value there, but the jury, as you said, very much still out on Owen Tippett. Mm -hmm. Last thing I, I want to say is that because he is going to be cost controlled, this team is up against the cap. They might not want to let go of a, a guy that they can count upon for cheap depth. So I think that he'll probably be around at least like the next two years. And we'll see after that. Uh, so here's the next question from Nick Diaz. And the question is, player that is most likely to use a spork daily in your opinion. I, I have actually given this one some thought. I, I'm curious because I, I showed you the question, but it was only like 10, 10 20 minutes ago. H have you given it any thought since I showed it to you? I feel like whoever uses a spork daily has to be like a complete troll. So Ooh. like, I think the answer last year would have been Keith Yandel. Because I feel like Yandel, <laughs> yeah. Yandel would have done it just like to say that he was using a spork every day just to make everybody laugh. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think that if it's somebody on this year's team, it's going to be uh, potentially Brandon Montour for the same reasons, because I feel like he's kind of a jokester or Radko Gudis just because he's kind of out there. So, but definitely if it would have been last year's team, the answer would have been Keith Yandel. I like that thought that it would have been Yandel last year. The, the guy that I circled on is Bobrovsky because goalies are just very strange. And also I'm thinking that like a spork user might be using it for soup, although that does seem counter counterintuitive kind of, but I guess it's supposed to be used as a spoon, you know, but ultimately like I went with like the goalies are weird and he's also Russian. So it's the double enigma, the Russian goalie. 
are Russians known for using sporks? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I, I was thinking that Radko, because he's the butcher, he would only go for the finest cutlery. <laughs> Montour's a country boy, so he would more so go for stuff that's good for steaks and uh, hamburgers on the grill and stuff like that. Um, who else did I give some consideration? Huberto, because of for the French Canadian thing, like Sporks did seem does seem like a troll French Canadian thing to do, just to like use a spork because they like to be interesting, contrarian. Interesting. This is honestly my favorite question that has been asked so far. Like this is just such a fascinating question. Like it's just so out of left field. Let, let me flip it. Like assuming that everybody on the team is seeing whoever uses a spork in this hypothetical, who gets the angriest about it? Mm, good question. Um, Joe Thornton. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could totally like Joe see Thornton, him. Joe Thornton would just get like absolutely upset about it. <laughs> I, I can see him wanting to lay down the law like outside the locker room and uh, like in, in the, the cafeteria, for lack of a better word. Joe Thornton just puts a poster like on the outside, like no sports, no sports. allowed. <laughs> think i scored 1600 points it's because i never used a spork i could totally see joe thornton saying that exact line so <laughs> yeah my answer definitely joe thornton uh so joe thornton if you're out there and you're listening let us know your thoughts on sporks yeah i need to know joe thornton's thoughts on sporks now like this has to happen all right time for a hard left turn uh this question comes to us from cody and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit. Are Knight and Lundell on the table for you in a trade for Jacob Chikrin? Ooh, <laughs> that, uh, that is a tough question. That's a good question, first of all, Cody. Um, I think at first glance, my answer would be yes. Because the potential with those guys is just through the roof and they're on entry level deals. And then you think about it a little bit. <laughs> you say, yes, they're on the table or yes, they're not on the table. Meaning uh, at first glance, the answer would be no. Okay. I don't think they should yeah. be. Gotcha. However, then I think about it a little bit. Right. This team with or without Lundell or Knight right now has arguably the best forward core in the league when healthy right? If you add a player like Jacob Chikrin and you don't lose Aaron Ekblad, you don't lose Mackenzie Weger, right? You may lose Gustav Forsling in it, but you'll still have Brandon Montour. You'll still have Radko Gudis. You'll still have Lucas Carlson. You could pair the best forward core potentially in the league with the best defensive core in the league, right? And so when you think about it like that, when you think about the chance to pair Barkov, Huberto, um, you know, Verhage, Duclair, Reinhardt, you know, and Bennett and all these other guys with a back end with Uyghur, Ekblad, and Chikrin. That's really appealing. And so my answer would be, I think about it. Um, and I know that's kind of a cop-out answer because <laughs> um, it is. Uh, but I think if I if you pressed me, like to the point where you squeeze me enough, like I do everything possible to not include those two players, right? Mm -hmm. But if you forced me, I would include one, but I'm not giving you much else. 
Like if you get Lundell, for example, that's your piece. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting maybe another, you're getting maybe a draft pick on top of it. Yeah, like you're I not think it getting would, much on top of it. I think it would be kind of a complicated trade because of the salary. I mean, he's on a great contract, so it wouldn't be as complicated as like an Eichel deal would have to be. But the Panthers are going to have to shed some money in order to take on Chikrin and his additional years, which I mean, good problem to have because you're adding a phenomenal player on a phenomenal contract to your team. So you're going to have to pay double to trade for Chikrin and probably get rid of Hornquist because that's really the only guy on the team that you would say is an albatross contract. And I mean, he's not a bad player. It's just at 5.3 million. I think it is. It's definitely between five and 5.5 is too much for what he does at this stage in his career. Mm -hmm. So you're probably paying double. I think that it's problematic to put together a trade that makes sense for the Panthers because Chikrin's right-handed and he's also going to be kind of redundant with Ekblad being that guy. That's like the first pairing offensive driver i know that he's not very good on the power play so you could say chickren comes in as the quarterback that would be helpful we yet we've yet to really see what Uyghur can do as a quarterback and i do think he would be good there the power play that's something really to watch in the next like month or so to see what they try because right now it's at a level that's completely anemic and needs to be fixed going into the playoffs definitely but i mean you're going to struggle in the regular season with a power play that can't score at all um but back to chikrin like if you if you come up with a trade proposal where it, it makes sense to fit him in even if he's playing on the right side and i guess he would be top four because gudis would be able to move to the third pairing or but then again you're stuck with gudis montour see this is this is the issue because you, you're just so overloaded on the right side. I mean, you already have four right-handers in your lineup every night because Uyghur's playing on the left. So what are you going to do with Gudis? What are you going to do with Montour? For a player as good as Chikrin, you could probably make it work, but like, it's already complicated enough trying to make a trade that it doesn't hurt too much and is enticing enough for Arizona to accept. In the position they're in where he has years left, he's not – demanding a trade as far as we know they have the leverage it's going to hurt whatever they asked for yeah i i would have to say it's going to be too complicated to work i think that that's kind of my convoluted answer i think that you could and i'm going to be honest i think the panthers could offer right now an offer without niter lundell that could work i think that it's going to include roster players though in the sense that I think that there's a couple of pieces on the Panthers roster right now that would be really appealing to the Arizona Coyotes. I think that Gustav Forsling would be a guy they would look at with some value. He's only 25 years old, obviously on an absolute bargain of a contract for two, two and a half million dollars a year. Um, as a potential stopgap replacement, also a guy that they could uh, use in the top four and potentially sell off for even more assets at, at some point. Um, obviously we mentioned Owen Tippett before, uh, I think Owen Tippett would be attractive to them. I think that guys like Mackie Samuskevich, uh, Justin Sourdiff, uh, Mike Benning, uh, and guys like that would be really, really attractive to them. So I think that a trade could work in theory, if you were to package together some of the players I just mentioned again, though, it would be difficult to pull off, uh, but mm-hmm. I don't, 
ever put it across Bill Zito to not pull pull a rabbit out of his hat. I mean, this is the guy that basically traded what amounts to a second round pick and a seventh round goalie for Sam Reinhart. Yeah. So like, I don't put it past Bill Zito to pull a rabbit out of the hat and find a way to make Jacob Chick run a Panther. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that you put it together a trade package like that, that doesn't include either of them. If it comes out that like he's sick of being on a tanking team and he wants out. So when that happens, put together that kind of uh, mock trade proposal. But until then, I think it's, it's going to have to take one of those guys or just like the mother load of all mother load of draft picks and prospects. It would be like seven or eight pieces. It's going to be something very significant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, the last question, which is actually three questions. I don't even know what we're going to do with these. Uh, Why am I the oldest user in post-game Twitter spaces? Why hasn't Jacob finished Knights of the Old Republic? Which we can't really answer that one. And uh, why does the leak keep effing us from our our friend Malgan and Tonic? So any thoughts on either question, Brian? Uh, I think that there's, I don't think that you're the oldest one. First of all, uh, there's a lot of older Panther fans. Uh, Anybody that was around to see the 1996 run is considered an older Panther fan at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think that you are the oldest one. I think that you are being a little bit too rough on yourself there. But um, in terms of why does the league always F the Panthers? uh, You know, obviously, I I don't know that the intention is to F the Panthers here, but (laughs) uh, it's when you watch the team play on the ice tonight, there's, you're going to feel that way. So, you know, not that I think the team's going to win or lose, just you're going to feel that way with all the guys that are out and all the guys that are in that we're being effed a little bit. I don't know that I have an answer. And why Jacob hasn't watched that one, uh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe I will have to come back on and ask them that, ask uh, him that myself. I think it might be a video game, not positive. Um, I'm going to use the, (laughs) I'm going to use the question about the Twitter spaces just to, to shout it out to our audience. Like, Hey, you know, you, you might not be the oldest one because uh, our friend Malcolm and Tonic, he might be a little bit older than you. So don't be afraid of being the, you know, Steve Buscemi. How, how do you do fellow kids in the Twitter spaces? And then uh, as far as why does the league keep effing us? I mean, it's we're the Florida Panthers. That's just what happens. We, we have accepted this life. We were it's born just kind of business, is, business as usual. Business us. as usual. Yep. But once, uh, once we win the cup, things will start to change. When we win the cup, though, uh, and this is a hard left turn. When we win the cup, we need to get like a Flanagan's in the arena. Get like a Flanagan's, like a Publix, like use that, yeah. that cup run money to start improving the arena and let's get some South Florida classics in there. I mean, those, those naming rights are still available, Flanagan's, Publix. Flanagan's arena would be... Ooh, Publix ice perfect. on the Flanagan's arena. <laughs> Flanagan's forum. Flanagan's forum. And then we're going to have the, the club, club 954, club Lex. This is going to become club Publix. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And then you can club start Pub saying Hub. when you, when you start uh, going to Publix, you can just start calling that club Publix. Club Publix. And they're going to serve all the regular food, except there's going to be a new station and club and club Publix uh-huh. where they make chicken tender subs. There you go. That's the dream. I think that we should run the marketing department for this team. <laughs> All right. So Brian, I think that we've come to the conclusion of this episode, this uh, ambitious collaboration. Uh, You did some plugs at the beginning of the episode. Uh, If you want to plug anything, I'll let you go after me though. 
I'm going to just uh, shout out, of course, the podcast, Panther Paree. You might already be listening, though, if you're watching this on YouTube, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if we're not there, send us a DM, send us an email, ptphockeygmail.com. We'll get there. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, rate us five stars on your favorite food delivery app. And uh, that's pretty much all I got to say. Anything else to plug, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I plugged my YouTube channel at the beginning, but again, make sure you guys go and subscribe. Uh, I am a growing channel and, you know, getting subscribers like that, every single one counts. So uh, I would appreciate if you guys go and sub there. Also, uh, I am graduating college tomorrow uh, when this podcast comes out. So, you know, that's exciting. But for my final project in college, I did um, a full documentary on an organization that is working to uh, put human trafficking to an end all over the world. And that is also on my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, uh, I would really appreciate that. So uh, go ahead, check that out. It's for a good cause and a good organization. And uh, yeah, make sure you guys go subscribe to Metal Panthers. What he said. All right, y'all stay safe. COVID's out there. We don't want you getting sick and having to go on protocol. Just ask the Panthers how bad that is. Take it easy. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.